Bonjour, folks. Welcome to episode number 43 of King of the Ride podcast. I'm your host. I'm Ted King. And by welcoming you with bonjour, I have just about maxed out my French language skills entirely. Or should I say the language of Quebecois? And that's because this pod comes to you on the heels of two world tour races, the Grand Prix Cycliste, Quebec City and Montreal, up here in Canada. This particular conversation was recorded on the eve of Grand Prix Quebec City with none other than my very, very good friend, Brent Bookwalter. Longtime pro tour turned world tour professional cyclist, Brent Bookwalter, the longest current American pro continuing to rack up a stellar career in the world tour. He and I have had careers run in parallel in a whole bunch of interesting ways. Being just one year apart in age, we duked it out on the collegiate ranks way, way back when. We went over to the U.S. national team in Belgium at the same time. We were teammates there in 2005. We then raced on the same shoestring budget domestic pro team, Priority Health, in 2006. From there, Brent went on to race on the lowly, then a lowly pro continental BMC squad, the same squad that became the powerhouse BMC team that ran the course of 10 years with Brent proving his worth as the only holdout rider from that original team all along the way. I believe we raced our first grand tours together. Brent and I were even housemates in Girona for a year living on Calle de Abiradores in the heart of Girona's old town. Brent is the longest standing world tour pro out there from America. Professional since 2006, racing at the highest level for 10 plus years now. Brent's longevity is a testament to his dogged tenacity and consistency. Cycling fans will remember he finished second to Wigo in the opening stage of the 2010 Giro d'Italia. Remember the heinously windy and gnarly Tour of Qatar? That's a Belgian classic cyclist dream. Well, Brent won the opening stage of the 2013 Tour of Qatar and wore the leader's jersey through most of that race before finishing second overall to some dude named Mark Cavendish. And of course, being a loyal domestique to Cadell Evans in July of 2011, Brent helped Cadell win that 2011 Tour, racing all the way successfully to Paris. Brent's experience is second to none racing virtually any race out there. 10 Grand Tours to his name, the Spring Classics, the Hilly Classics, and everything in between, Brent can usually be found tearing people's legs off at the pointy end of the race. I am pumped to bring you this conversation and episode with Brent Bookwalter. It is fitting that we are up here in Canada as this episode is presented by Untapped. You have surely heard me talk about Untapped. You've presumably seen my obsession with maple syrup somewhere along the lines. Untapped is the convergence of cycling and athletics in general with a wholesome taste of home. Co-founded with my maple syrup producing partners back in Vermont while I was still racing on the world tour in 2013, we are bringing all natural, nutritious, delicious, unadulterated, pure maple syrup to the world of sports nutrition and to anyone on the go. Loaded with the essential components of wholesome nutrition that you need for athletic demands as well as what is required for for the everyday hustle, something we all know well. This all-too-busy day and age, Untapped delivers amino acids, electrolytes, antioxidants, plus other macro and micronutrients in the tastiest format that I know out there. Untapped packets for quick energy are light and super tasty waffles to quench your appetite. 
and Maple Aid for the most delicious hydration out there. Listeners of this podcast are in luck with 15% savings on your first order. Visit untapped.cc, not .com, as that will take you to a beer website. So untapped.cc, use the code KING, K-I-N-G, at checkout for some sweet savings. No need to listen to me babble on anymore, my friends. Without further ado, I present King of the Ride podcast with Brent Bookwalter. Travel Ben, coming in from Europe, I believe. Yeah, it's the first time I've done these races coming from Europe. Yeah. And yeah, historically I've always been in the U.S. I guess coming off like the Utah or Colorado block like over the years, and I always kind of saw these races as the only race of the season in my home time zone, which was awesome. Um, but yeah, now these days are more and more in Europe um, with Jamie doing the PhD and. In Girona and Barcelona. Um, so, yeah, did the, the full Euro charter flight, standing in line, waiting in lines, and getting on buses, and now jet lag, zombie Which, jet lag was going to be the next question, but that's a better segue. So, you're literally traveling with an airplane full of bike racers. Yeah. Explain that. Yeah, it's like, like it's a bit of a multi-day deal, so the charter flight goes um, out of Paris, so... Um, everyone has to get to Paris. Uh-huh. So go there Monday evening, fly to Paris, stay at an airport hotel. Um, yeah, get your bags, find this airport hotel, you know, traipse around Charles de Gaulle, try to figure out that weird train system again, even uh-huh. no matter how many times I've been in there. <laughs> so I can't figure it out. <laughs> and then, yeah, the next morning it's like get back there. And um, fortunately, this one was a pretty good one. We, um, the mechanics had all of our bikes there ahead of time. All checked into the custom declaration and all that. But yeah, it's still, it's like the, this massive line for like any flight, except it's literally the whole Peloton. Yeah. Not just riders, but, you know, the mechanics, the swannies, the directors, everyone. Um, various people having visa problems that messed up the visa application and aren't getting on the flight. Oh, my God. And then, yeah, then get on the flight. Big, uh, big, big fight and hunt for any unclaimed aisle or exit row seats. Uh-huh. Did snipe one of those. Where'd you get? Pretty happy. Got a nice exit row. Oh, excellent. Oh, yeah. my Lord. Dude, that's cutthroat. Yeah. Was there, were there, was there a first class section? There was. I don't think anyone was in it. Yeah. My eyes just rolled. Cycling. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a significant logistical element that it exists when you race anywhere anywhere outside of North America. Ah, uh, sorry, outside of anywhere, outside of Europe. For sure. North America, Australia, are beginning to be commonplace, but it's kind of inane how many logistics come together to do t- one day races like it's- these. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big undertaking. Um, in some ways, I think especially this time of the year, it's sort of nice. It's, I think it's welcome for a lot of guys. It's a little more relaxed. Like you take away their team buses. Uh-huh. Um, you take the Italians away from their, their mom's home-cooked pasta. <laughs> and uh, instantly the, the pressure and the anxiety sort of comes down a little bit. And that doesn't mean the racing is going to be any easier. But makes it a little more relaxed. You know, guys are like walking around the city here. Yeah. They're jet-legged hay is getting coffee and checking out the little shops in Quebec. And totally that's not, rare. not something we get to do um, at every race. And I wish it, I wish it was. It was talk, I was talking with my roommate. He was saying how like these, these, could, these races could be a template for what, you know, what we could really do with races where 
get to interact with the community a little bit and mm-hmm. get to actually enjoy yourself and look around as opposed to just going there and getting into assassin mode in your hotel room and monking out and yeah. not seeing anything. See the the very end of the internet. Yeah. Very well said. I would often end my season here at, at Quebec City and Montreal. Montreal was my last ever bike race. Um, I remember that. I remember that um, that weekend. Yeah. I had some... Uh, Went out for some poutine and uh, after the Quebec race Friday night. <laughs> celebratory, yeah. Celebratory cheese curds. Yep. Um, it is completely rare that that riders will walk around and actually be a tourist. And there's no better places to do it than here, because they're. I think Quebec City, especially Montreal, is a wonderful city. But Quebec City especially has that Euro feel. But you can be a tourist and walk around and not worry that you're smashing your legs and the coffee's good and the people are nice and yada, yada, yada. So, yeah, like I said, these two races often signal the end of a season or being near the end. What is is your traditional September onward and what is your September onward this year? Yeah, I feel like these days... Uh, it used to be sort of traditional to potentially end here. I think I've I've had one trip to Quebec, Montreal, where I finished the season there. But these days, with all these October races popping up, it's like, you know, I'm I'm like kind of just getting going. I've had a few less race days than usual this season. So I have I have two stage races in October. I have two in Croatia and uh, two in Guangxi in China. Great Scott. So we're looking at like 14 race days in the first two to three weeks of October. Holy cow. Um, and I think one Italian one day too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm nowhere near the end. Yeah, and some guys are. Right? This is, yeah, this yeah. is season, or part of your season 3.0. Yes. What, so so keeping things light, if it were approaching the end of the season, what are the things you're looking forward to? Who do you want to see? What do you want to eat? What do you want to drink? Where do you want to visit? What are the things that really are that, that carrot that is yeah. the end of the season. Yeah, oh, there's something about this. You get to these uh, sort of late summer, early fall months, and you can almost kind of like even feel it in the air. You get that like fall crispness, and like days start getting a little shorter, and something about that just like pulls me into like the thought of like some off-season beers, um, some fall colors. You live in Asheville. Mountain bike rides. I live in Asheville. Peaking all those things. Definitely um, what's always on my mind, I look forward to the most, is our, our fall fondo, the Book Walter Binge. That's uh, the last weekend in October, October 26th this year. Nice. Um, so, yeah, uh, Jamie and I and uh, the Binge team are, you know, working away at it. This is our sixth year, so it's it's coming off um, easier than it used to this first couple of years, but yeah. it's still a lot of work, as you know. Sure. Pulling it off and making it happen, um, and especially doing it from, you know, a continent apart. We have, you know, at this point, uh, the Binge community in itself sort of, like, sustains and perpetuates and runs the event. We have awesome volunteers and awesome director team and safety team. But yeah, for me, that's that's my race season will go right up until that. Um, so that's the first thing I'll do in the off season, and that's what I'm probably looking forward to the most. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, I don't look forward to like I don't need like a detox on the bike necessarily. I still love riding, so I want to yeah. go home and ride, and yep. um, you know, be in our Appalachian Mountains down in the south there and um, see those people and reconnect with them and enjoy. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, we were chatting away probably about six and a half years ago as you guys were going into your first event and I had a little bit of experience going on with King Challenge three years in at that point but yeah it's been amazing to see what you guys have built from afar one of the years we're actually going to make it we got to get you back man I know oh, you have Asheville roots and yeah. the people want Ted back in Asheville hey, hey, hey. people what they want what's the 
uh, uh, shameless shout out bookwalterbinge.com yeah bookwalterbinge.com October 26th in Asheville, North Carolina. Your form's going to be peaking coming from some I stage races. I have some race form. Yeah, it might be a little jet lag, but uh, uh-huh. yeah, I'll have some, we got some good buddies coming in always for it, kind of assembling that list now, but um, you know, some other fellow pros to sort of tow me around and keep the group on a leash as much as possible. So speaking of fellow pros, I was doing some thinking recently in anticipation of this pod and I believe that you are the longest running American pro racing. Active, maybe? Active pro. Is there accuracy to that? Ooh. That could be. My um, by my very in-depth research, I think you've been professional for I want to say 13 years. Which comes with a grain of salt because that include that does not include advantage benefits which then became Priority Health, which then became Bissell. At Bissell's point, you went to BMC, blah, blah, blah. So the original question, yeah, who else would have you beat? Um, I can't think of anyone, to be honest. And actually more, like the more time we spend in Girona um, the past couple of years, the more I sort of feel that because all of the people that, you know, I came there with, like such as yourself, we were roommates, um, bro. Yeah, we were roommates. <laughs> Abbe Oradors. Um, Our road name. Yeah, the big wooden door. Um, yeah, they're, you know, everyone's gone. It's kind of sad. Ah. Ja- Jamie, you know, she says the same thing. She, We have some awesome friends there now, and it's a good community of, um, very alive community of expat cyclists. But uh, that, that sort of class that was there when we, when we first got there and came with us, um, everyone sort of moved on. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it's kind of lonely being <laughs> left over. <laughs> what am I doing there still? It, it, I mean, you snap your fingers and time goes by. Um, do you remember the conversation when we, we were in Plaza Independencia? I think it was Independencia. Maybe Plaza Catalunya. And we were talking to George in Capi right after the, uh, right after Perry Roubaix. And yeah. he's like, man, why do my leg, my, my legs hurt? Well, I don't know they why they hurt. <laughs> And you and I, I think, had both raced our first Roubaix. He had raced his, like, 13th at that point. We were the Neo pros. Oh, my, how times have changed. <laughs> how many times have you sat down recently with the Neo pros? Like, hey, Brent, your legs hurt? <laughs> yeah, nothing's changed for me. My legs have always hurt. I'm like, I'm like George, who didn't, wasn't accustomed to that reality, I guess. But, um, yeah, the you know these guys are young now. We have um, one of my teammates here at these races, um, Rob Stannard, is twenty years old. He was seven when you started your pro career. Yeah, so that that's, that's some insane. that's some perspective. And you know, on one hand, it's easy to forget how young these guys are because they're at a super high level on the bike, and they're the level now for the neo pros. These young guys is so high. You know, yeah. they they come in at such a high level. They've already had the best coaching and best equipment, and they're doing altitude camps. So you talk to them, and it's like. You know, they've been doing this for 20 years already, but it's like, well, they're still kids. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess even in that sense, um, I feel like in the span of my career, what it means to be, uh, you know, a more veteran guy or a younger, more rookie guy, that sort of definition or concept has even changed these past 10, 15 years. Can, given the wealth of experience these young guys have had in such a compartmentalized way to be a professional cyclist... There's still this wealth of knowledge 
of how to be a pro, of how to how to make your way through the Charles de Gaulle Airport. So many things that are almost intangible. Do do you have the opportunity to talk to either teammates or young Americans or or folks to instill some knowledge? And not that you're going to sit down and say, "Hey, in my day, let me teach you a thing or two. <laughs> but do those conversations come up, or are they is this young hotshot group so into themselves that they don't even ask? Yeah, good question. Um, and I think it, like everything, it varies person to person. Some of these guys, uh, when I'm talking to them, I feel like you know they're they're the ones trying to teach me something. <laughs> um, and other other ones are really uh, open eared and open minded, um, and are in, and welcome it. So. Yeah, like I, I view myself as someone who's passionate to, yeah, give back and shepherd as much as I can this next generation. And USA has some good young riders right now. Holy Just cow! Rode with um, Ian Garrison in Girona mm-hmm. um, the past couple of weeks. He's been there a little bit. Um, so yeah, you know, U twenty three. He was our US pro professional TT champ, and yeah, just at the doorstep to to beginning this journey. You know, really as a pro. So that yeah, it's cool to see and try to um, try to. One of the things I've worked on the past few years is to just try to sort of harness some of that youthful enthusiasm from those around me and let that sort of like reignite or recultivate um, that part of me that, you know, I know is still in me. And, you know, maybe it's been a long time since I felt it, but I think, you know, most of us, no matter how old we get, when we pin on that race number and get in a race, there is that part of us is still present and it's finding a way to like channel it and harness it and use it. And um, being around those young guys is a good way to do it. So, pre-pod, we were also talking about just how freaking cutthroat racing is and how how you have to put everything on the limit and risk life and limit times. Um, just that is the nature of the sport and that is the fluidity of the sport. It's as cutthroat as ever. How have you seen that play itself out over the course of your career? Oh, d- yeah, it definitely doesn't feel like it's getting any safer or any easier. Um see a lot of shit over the over over that many years to see see a lot of guys in a bad way and i think you know everyone has their own injury stories and crash stories as i've gotten a little older and the years have ticked by I'm maybe a little more discerning with my risk taking i think most of the more experienced guys would probably echo that but yeah it's, it's uh like everything it's a balance and part of the beauty of it and i think what i still strive for and what all what lures us all back is when, when you're in those moments of operating as your best self and you're, you're flowing and you're feeling it and just, you know, really subconsciously operating um, at your best, all that stuff disappears. Mm-hmm. And that, that's sort of, um, I think, what keeps us coming back. Um, you know, whether you're, you're jumping in a gravel race on the weekend or you're racing a Grand Tour, these World Tour races here in Quebec, is, um, is those moments of um, really feeling that that finish line fire, those heated moments of the race where, yeah, the worry and the anxiety and the danger sort of just, just sort of disappear. It doesn't disappear. Um, but your, your body and mind are sort of acting on autopilot and, um, that stuff's sort of out of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I like, I mean, flow is the, the common word for it. I often would say suspension of disbelief that when you rail that corner at 50 miles an hour, it's a blind corner you are fully confident that there is not a rock, there's not a dog, there's not a car, there's not a risk of a flat tire. You're going to take that corner full gas. Yeah. Because that is what you've been trained to do. Yeah. How much do you suppose... I mean, I wonder if, if, if cyclists 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago were saying the same thing about 
as the as they reach later years in their career that oh my god these young kids are just crazy and the risk is that much higher um do you do you feel like they are taking more risk do you think they're diving into into places in the peloton that they weren't 20 years ago is it a perception thing or do you think it really is happening yeah i think what i see in the sport of cycling and i see from maybe from afar and a severely uneducated level as i spectate other sports or watch is that you know, in, in the continuous um, hunt and pursuit for progress and excellence and performance, the margins keep getting thinner and thinner and thinner, and the, the differences at the top keep getting smaller. So the the places and the times where you can make those differences become smaller, and then guys fight for them even harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Sky created marginal gains. No one in cycling is really looking for macro gains, nor any other sport. <laughs> Right, it's just like those are gone. Those yeah. are, we left macro gains long ago. I mean, no, I actually shouldn't say that. I think still, I think a lot of times we get we get too hyper focused on all this, all these minutia and marginal gains. And part of what keeps me going at this point is just hyping the fundamentals. And um, it's a pretty simple sport at the end of the day. Yeah, there's there's a million variables on any given day, but you're pedaling a bike yeah. as fast as you can. Lim- Boom. Limit those bottlenecks. That's yeah. what. Um, the great Alan Lim always has stressed to me is, um, yeah, limit limit the bottlenecks because yeah. you know it doesn't if um, the the minutia and the, the small details don't really matter if it's all getting stuck up at this this pinch point and you can't even can't even get there to use it. So I appreciate that. Try to remember that. Uh, another thing to appreciate is when you hang up your wheels. What you've done over the course of your career is this amazing cultural experience. So as a 20-year-old kid, you go over and, and you race with the U.S. national team. Prior to that, you get to race all over the country on a domestic pro team. You then go to a young BMC, which at that point was an American-focused team. And over the course of the, what, 10 years there, 11 years there, 12 years there, you see a massive cultural shift to, be go, to become more Belgian. You've recently made another cultural shift to land on Please state the current name of your team. Mitchelton Scott. Mitchelton Scott, which I believe has quite an Australian influence. Massively. Talk to me about the cultural experiences, and please include some of your best bell logic that you picked <laughs> up on. Oh, what a that, was a... that was an open-ended a, question. What a colorful, yeah, cultural journey. I mean, never would have expected to... Uh, Not to mention you get to live in Spain. Which is not just Spain, but Catalonia, a yeah. major career. I no, mean, like, I mean, that's it's wild. We could, you could talk all night about any one of those little phases. It's, mm-hmm. it's very culturally diverse and cult- culturally rich. And with that is, has come a lot of challenge. I think working with, you know, working with teammates and, um, and staff and teams from all over different parts of the world um, is challenging. It's like giving me a perspective for how, how, you know, in a lot of ways, we, we are, we're all doing the same thing. We're really similar, but then you know, everyone has their own flavor. And, and to bring all that together and to, to see it work is, I think, one of the most, one of the things I'll look back at most fondly is like, you know, it's almost sort of miraculous on the best days, how that all melts together and how you find success. And um, I'd say at, at this point, it's, that's one of the things that largely keeps me coming back is to, to have that cultural diversity but somehow find a way to work together for some common goal that's bigger than oneself within that structure. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So here's here's a way to, to hone it in a little more specific way. You and I lived together, I think, what, 2010? 2009. 10 was Girona, yeah. Yeah, so I'm on Cervelo test team at that point, which is a very culturally uh, diverse team, 15 nationalities among 25 riders, and, and things were pretty smooth sailing. And at that point, you were on BMC, and I remember... I shouldn't even say smooth sailing. I mean, I remember, you know, we're, we're sitting in our little living room area talking about the major bottlenecks. Like, oh, hey, I need a time trial bike. I need a time trial bike because I'm supposed to be hitting it hard in this time trial coming up, and I literally don't have one. <laughs> and that's a hard thing to explain a to, a, to a, you know, someone in Belgium who is overseeing the service course and doesn't really have interest to give it to this Neo Pro because yeah. he hasn't proved himself in a time trial or something to that effect. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know the question I'm trying to ask now. It's just, it's such this, like you said, it's, it's almost like a symphony when it comes off well. And when it doesn't come off well, it's because there are so many... Oh, it's, yeah, it sounds atrocious when it doesn't come off well. Yeah, it's just, it's the most gritty uh, uh, spectacle. And, and, or I mean, you have somebody barking orders in your ear in a language that only three people who are listening on the radio speak for a natu- uh, their their inherent first language. So, the, yeah, jump to... What was the cultural jump like for you going from BMC to Michelin Scott? Uh, I'm, I'd say I'm still experiencing that change and transition. Um, yeah, it was big. Uh, you know, BMC, it's hard to even call it, like, going from BMC to somewhere else because I was at BMC so long that... It in itself, the culture there evolved and changed and progressed, and I felt like I sort of grew with it. So, but yeah, still, like you said, very international, kind of a melting pot. It was like, you know, USA registered, USA roots, um, Swiss bicycle, and then a lot of the staff was Italian and Belgian. So yeah. it was like a little Italian mafia, a little Belgian mafia, Swiss bikes, American registered, ah, a little mm-hmm. bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas coming to Mitchelton Scott, it is clearly Australian. It's uh, very distinctly Australian. And yeah, for all those years that I was at BMC and sort of this evolving international structure, you know, most a lot of my teammates now were at Mitchelton Scott or current or prior versions of it, you know, together. I think this is the eighth, eighth or ninth year mm-hmm. of the team. Yep. Um, and a lot of these guys that are on the team were there in the beginning. So it's... Uh, yeah, in some ways, it's a bit of a hard group to break into because they're all they're they're good old boys who have been working together and having a good time together for a mm-hmm. long time. Yeah, even if I've been doing it for maybe longer than them, you know, I haven't been doing it their way and their structure. Yeah, and that's and that's challenging um, in an invigorating way and also a smacky in the face way sometimes. Yeah, totally, get that. Yeah, I mean, on paper, the Anglo teams, be it be it an Ineos. A EF uh, Michelin, yeah, that's. I think sort of the understood place that that Anglo's are going to end up, but the the reality of that is so far from the truth. Yeah, and that's why Italians end up on those teams and French. And I mean, it is just such a, a cultural melting pot, the world tour. How but about uh, the logic, though? Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> so, real quick to our fair listener, Bell Logic is the logic of uh, that comes with the the Belgian mafia of cycling. <laughs> Some of my favorites include mushrooms are good food to eat because mushrooms are calorie factories, calorie furnaces rather. So if you eat mushrooms, it will lower your weight. So you see, you know, Belgians literally eating just like plates of mushrooms. (laughs) Um, Don't shave your legs before a race because you are 
giving yourself tons of micro cuts that your body therefore has to heal and you shouldn't be putting yourself through those rigors the day before a race. And to be fair, this isn't this isn't a blanket statement for all Belgians, but this is Ted King, Brent Bookwalter, circa 2005 as 20 to 23 year olds <laughs> and these surly old uh, veterans of uh, Belgian cycling, you know, trying to impart their wisdom uh-huh. and some of that I think almost was in the form of hazing. You know, yeah. it's like this uh We'll tell them this and see if they actually go for it. And it's great because, okay, we call it bell logic because that's the easiest word, but I suppose there's etal logic, given my time on liquid gas, because there was uh, the proper benzina, the right fuel, the right gasoline, was we were only allowed Nutella ever in our paninis and our little mid-race snacks if it was under 10 degrees Celsius, because that is when it is the right benzina. But otherwise, you are not allowed to have Nutella ever. Or, yeah, most Italian logic revolves around food, because the other one was, uh, they're just such a, a culture that's that appreciates their pasta, and you were not under any circumstance ever allowed to have oatmeal. And so when I brought oatmeal into the mix, I may as well have had two you heads. You can't pedal a bike with oatmeal. Yeah. No, impossible. Impossible. Um, give me some, I mean, hitting on the, the longevity that I really appreciate about your career. Career highlights, career bests, year bests, season bests. When did everything go right? Oh, not very often. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a cycling career. It's definitely, yeah, it's that 99 to one stat is even generous. You know, it's like, it's not 99% of the time and 1% of the time. It's way less than that. But yeah, I'd say, um, you know, anytime, anytime you're part of any sort of win, you know, it's, it's sort of, I think, you know, sort of feels miraculous. You know, I, I never, you know, you raced with, you raced with Peter um, Sagan in his early years. He was like a prolific winner. He's a sprinter. So you win a lot. Um, so maybe it doesn't feel as miraculous I, I was really never a teammate with a, a super consistent winner sprinter. So when it happened, regardless of who we were riding for, um, pretty pretty amazing. I mean, you, you feel good about it if someone's punching in the top three, top five, top ten, but to get to pull off a win as a teammate is, is a really good feeling, as I think you would attest to. And on, on that note, like the the easy one, the low-hanging fruit is the, the tour win with Cadell. Um, being there for that with that was um, talk about everything going right. I mean, that's just purely miraculous to to win a grand tour, have everything come together, and and to do it sort of in that that Cadell Evans way and that BMC way, which I felt is also um, true to my identity. It's just a testament to persistence and patience and tenacity, and and allowing things to sort of fall into place and not fighting them to get there. Mm-hmm. There's there's something very fickle and, and fleeting about cycling, and you know you can be on your best form and then break your collarbone, and, and all of a sudden you're not at that race. So, you were a trusted teammate of Cadell, not only to be on the long list, but I think you were on that list for for quite a while leading up to it. I mean, that's a huge testament to to getting that nod and going over there and winning the freaking tour. That's massive. Um, so, not to discount not being. A teammate with a prolific sprinter. You won the Tour de France. <laughs> so that's that's about as big as it gets. We've had a lot of what I call hitter Americans from the World Tour come tantalizingly close at the U.S. National Championships. You have come tantalizingly close at the National Championships. 
Um, Howes, I think, was a great example of that. I mean, yeah. like he's admitted, he sort of said, screw it, I'm never going to win this stupid thing. Yeah. What is that like, coming back, racing on home roads, oh. duking it out? Yeah, I missed it this year for one of the first years in a long time, and part of it was that feeling sort of like, I can't take the possibility of another defeat in this race. Um, and it, I wasn't there for other reasons other than that, just logistical um, reasons as well. But um, I think obviously every American wants to win their their national title. But for you can see in certain guys, um, Howes is one of them. I'd put myself in that. I'd put Kiel Ryan in there. Guys that sort of like, I don't know, ooze and radiate the pride of the potential to wear that jersey and want to bring it, um, also bring it back and showcase it in – in this opportunity we have to show it in the world's best races, but it's such a, such a unique uh, dynamic of a race. It's so different than what we do the whole year, but maybe the most inspiring, you know, you're racing, you know, with your countrymen, a lot of them for me, I was fortunate to do them in, you know, my sort of a adopted home region of the country being in the Southeast. Um, If you're, you know, the family and friends there and, yeah, everything's got to come together, and I've I've came a knocking really close, but haven't made it happen. Giving giving a nod towards looking forward. How much longer you want to race? Whew. Depends what day you ask me. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'd like to race more. Um, I think I feel like I have more in me. I still love racing. I still love riding. Thirty-four years old, right? Thirty-five. Ah, congratulations. I think to be honest. I I probably love the riding more than I do the racing and that that is what you know sort of sustains me and fuels me I think if I'm honest with myself the things that I really love about the sport I mean and the answers of deep down why I keep doing this that's something that continues to change and evolve and grow and the challenge is that the what I love the most or appreciate the most about it you know, the the piece of the puzzle or the pie that that occupies kind of becomes a little less. And, you know, the as the uh, you know the time away from family gets tough, the uh, the sacrificing you know lifetime events of um, friends and family, weddings and funerals and bachelor parties and stuff like that um, that gets harder and harder to miss. Those things add up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously, you know, the the danger component and just and staying healthy. I think for me, um, at the point I'm at now, if you know, if I can stay healthy and I can stay safe and I can find myself in a inspired environment of um, like-minded people, you know, I feel like I could have many good years left in me. Mm-hmm. That said, I'm, I'm starting to wrap my head around what could potentially come next. And, you know, I'm slowly getting more excited about that unknown. Um, I'd say unknown and possibility more than known. Um, but yeah, you're making re- retirement look good. and. <laughs> It's a hustle, man. It's definitely it, it. It slows down in some ways and speeds up in, in others. Um, I love the original podcaster in my mind in the cycling realm, Mike Creed. He had a great way of putting it in that he said when he was assessing his career, he just he found he loved the process. He enjoyed riding. He enjoyed training, going out and executing, which was the earlier motivation that 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 fired him up was certainly competition and winning and i mean shoot he was a prolific national champion forever but towards the end it was yeah it was it was riding the bike and and going through the the to a degree rigmarole but that is 
it's what you're accustomed to and it, it feels so freaking good and yeah I mean I thought when I was done riding I thought when I was done racing I would step away in a much bigger way but the sport sucks you in I still love riding a bike so I hear you okay in an effort to allow you to eat some dinner which might include pasta we're gonna wrap up very shortly with three quick fire questions one is your favorite place to ride a bike two what is the number one place you would like to ride a bike that you've never ridden and three with whom living or otherwise would you like to ride a bike <laughs> quick fire quick fire these are all nighters um <laughs> yeah my favorite place to ride a bike without a doubt is where you know we call our usa home and that's the you know the blue ridge mountains great spot um, in Western North Carolina, or East Tennessee, Smoky Mountains, Appalachian Mountains, um, however you want to call them. But yeah, that that area just gets me going. So inspiring. Love it. Come, come join us this fall. Book Walter Binge. Booyah. <laughs> where do you want to go ride a bike? Oh, They've where never do I ridden. want to go ride a bike? Um, you know, I've actually never done any mountain biking in the Pacific Northwest, Ooh. which maybe is less exotic than most people would answer, but, um, yeah, you know, I think I probably need a few weeks to brush up on the skills to not kill myself, but, um, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the, you know, the events and the riding and the, the people that are coming out of there and some of the events that are going on. So need to, need to get on some trails out there. Good answer. Um, being modest, being that you are a collegiate national mountain bike champion, I think you'd brush up on your skills quick. <laughs> and with whom do you want to head out on a bike ride? Living or otherwise. Julia Child. <laughs> I mean, who are the who are the finalists here? I feel like I have to restrict myself down to a um How about Maybe Batman. Batman! Yes! <laughs> I think that's our first fictitious answer, because when I say living or otherwise, I want people to think of that. Yeah. But I think otherwise they're just thinking yeah, like I mean, who's, who's I'm dead? still a kid at heart, I'm still yeah. a dreamer. Oh, right on. Batman, if you're listening, Look come for up. a bike ride. <laughs> All right. Brent, uh, I wish you an amazing weekend, amazing rest of your season. I don't want to say rest of your career, but I wish you a great one of those, too. Thanks, Dad. Let's, let's, uh, let's go for a bike ride sometime. Enjoyed it. Thanks, man. Thank you once again goes out to Brent for taking the time on the eve of one of the coolest races on the annual calendar, Grand Prix Quebec City, to chat cycling and to chat life. Truth be told, I tried to usher Brent off to dinner soon after the pod, but he and I ended up talking for another half hour or more. As two very good friends, catching up was long overdue. He is definitely one of the good guys, folks, so I hope you enjoyed his insight. Once again, thanks goes out to Untapped for supporting this pod. Please visit them. Visit us, in fact, untapped.cc. And use code KING at checkout for some super sweet savings. Thanks also goes out to the Grand Prix Quebec City and Montreal for letting me hang out in Canada for a few very friendly and fun days. Canadians are so friendly, gosh darn it. I had two more podcasts recorded with some very entertaining people as some well as some very speedy cyclists. Stay tuned for those. Have a great one folks. Until next time. Please enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm.